morning. The scripture reading today comes from Joshua 14, verse 1, and then 15, verses 1 through 12. It can be found on page 6 of your bulletin. Now these are the areas of the, the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar, the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. The allotment for the tribe of Judah, according to its clans, extended down to the territory of Edom, to the desert of Zin in the extreme south. Their southern border boundary started from the bay at the southern end at the Dead Sea, crossed south at Scorpion Pass, continued on to Zin, and went over to the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it ran past Hezron, up to Adar, and curved around to Karkosh. It then passed along to Esmon, and joined the Wadi of Egypt, ending at the Mediterranean Sea. This is their southern boundary. The eastern boundary is the Dead Sea, as far as the mouth of the Jordan. The northern boundary started from the bay at the Sea of the Mouth of Jordan, went up to Beth Hoglah, and continued north of Beth Araba to the stone of Bahan, son of Reuben. The boundary then went up to the Beer from the valleys of Achor and turned north to Gilgal, which faces the pass of Edumin, valley of Achor, and turned north at Anum. South of the gorge, it continued along to the waters of En Shemesh and came out at En Rogel. Then it ran up the valley of Ben Hinnom along the southern slope of the Jebusite city, that is, Jerusalem. From there, it climbed to the top of the hill west of the Hinnon Valley at the northern end of the valley of Rephaim. From the hilltop, the boundary headed toward the spring of the waters of Nephtoah, came out at the towns of Mount Ephron, and went down toward Balah, that is Kirath-Jearim. Then it curved westward from Balah to Mount Seir, ran along the northern slope of Mount Jearim, that is Kesalon, continued down to Beth Shemesh, and crossed to Timnah. It went to the northern slope of Ekron, turned toward Shakiran, passed along to Mount Bala, and reached Jebneel. The boundary ended at the sea. The western boundary is the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. These are the boundaries around the people of Judah by their clans. Bravo. Ariel and Oscar, and I'm betting most of you have never heard a public reading of scripture quite like that, and maybe not a sermon also. Some of you might be wondering, was that a misprint, uh, not the right passage? Uh, Google directions in Palestine accidentally snuck in there? Uh, no, no, there is a point here. And uh, the point relates to what we've been doing over the past several weeks, and that is we've been looking at the vision of our church as we've kicked off a new fall season, found it to be a good time to say, hold on a second, time out, what are we all about? 
What is Grace Meridian Hill as a church aspiring to be? What are we praying to be? What are we laboring to become by the grace of God? And if you look in your bulletins on page 8, you'll find there a quick summary of our vision and our mission statement. And today we are looking at our last piece. And let me say a a quick word of prayer before we do just that. Uh, Lord, we're praying that you would come and pour out your spirit upon us. Um, We would be greatly encouraged if you could take a confusing passage like this and bring about spiritual life. And you can do that because it's your word and that gives us every reason to expect that you're going to be present and that you might even change our lives. We want to be open to that. So humbly, we say, God, come, speak, we're listening. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Start off with a question. Right now, where are you? Where are you? There are lots of different ways that you could answer that question. How would you answer it? You might say, well, I'm in the... Sunday worship service of a church called Grace Meridian Hill. Uh, Where am I? You might say I'm sitting in the seventh pew back. Or I'm sitting on a plastic folding chair in the balcony. You might say I'm in the Mount Rona Missionary Baptist Church sanctuary. I'm on the corner of 13th and Monroe Street. I'm in the Columbia Heights neighborhood, zip code 20010, Ward 1, Washington, D.C. You might say I'm in the mid-Atlantic region of the United States of America in continental North America. You might say, hey, I'm on planet Earth, mostly. (laughs) Lots of different ways we can answer that question. Where are we? Where are you? Here's a profound thought to start with. Are you ready for this? You are somewhere. (laughs) You are located in a place. We're a church that's committed to living in light of this reality. That's why we're what we call a neighborhood-centered church. Not just a church that is generically not defined by our geography or not embodying the identity of the question of where are we, but rather a place that is uniquely and intentionally right here. Which means not only being physically located here, but also emotionally and relationally present as neighbors. Not just churchgoers, but as neighbors in the local community, devoting our time, our energy, our talents, our finances, our hearts, our prayers to this particular context. Becoming a neighborhood-centered church means belonging to the neighborhood, taking personal ownership of its needs. Those problems, those are my problems now. Those glories and joys, that's my joy. It's mine to celebrate as well. Living and serving with our neighbors as partners and striving to become a reflection of our neighbors, our neighborhood's mix of people, especially spiritually, culturally, 
and economically. It means laboring sacrificially for the well-being of all of our neighbors, especially the economically challenged. Sharing mutual friendship and relationship, not just resources, but relationship with compassion, justice, and joy. A neighborhood-centered church. And so, question might be raised, are we committed to this vision? Are we committed to this identity, this neighborhood vision? Just because we think these surrounding neighborhoods here are superior to all other parts of the city? Is it because it's the best place in the world to live? Or at least if you want to be a part of this church, you also have to believe it's the best place in the world to live, the only righteous place to live? The answer is no. No. The answer to why we're committed to this neighborhood is grounded in something far more foundational. In fact, something that you can carry with you as a follower of Christ wherever you go. I hope that'll be the case. A transferable conviction. And that is this foundational conviction of what you might call a theology of place. In a practical commitment to place. Do you understand, do we understand, folks, that places matter to God? Most people would agree that God cares about people. Do you also know and believe that God cares about places? After all, the story of the Bible is that God created a real world, a physical place that he made as a home for the human race. And that, in fact, the story of human history is one that at the end of time, God's not going to trash it all, but rather he's going to perfect it all. All of redeemed humanity that honors who Jesus is will forever be embodied Implanted in a place, a physical place, that the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. Do we understand, you know, that as long as we have physical bodies, you realize we have no human existence apart from the experience of place, right? We are always somewhere as human beings, with our feet planted on the ground of some place, with our eyes looking at the form of some place, with our ears hearing the sounds and our nose smelling the smells of some place, whether if that's in the countryside or if it's in cities or towns or villages, places that are crisscrossed maybe by dirt paths or paved streets filled with homes or stores or schools or trees. And this vision is actually what we encounter in today's passage, today's strange, strange passage full of all these hard-to-pronounce ancient geographical details. For all the things that we'll try to dive into briefly here together, don't miss the big, amazing, surprising, big observation here. And that is simply this. We're reading the Bible, right? And if what we believe about what the Bible is, is true, 
then think about this, that the inspired, divinely authored word of God is talking about towns and hilltops and rivers and stones and land. I mean, doesn't God have something more important to tend to than gritty, physical, little details and locations like this? Doesn't he have anything more important to do? Apparently not. Apparently, it is worth his time and worth the, worth the investment of his redemption to give detailed attention to this place that's being described in this passage. This passage describes the allotment of the land of Canaan, often called the promised land. This segment here west of the Jordan River given to the tribe of Judah, a passage that delineates the boundaries. This is exactly what's given to the tribe of Judah as their inheritance, as a gift from God. W would you think about it? For of all the ways that God could give eternal spiritual blessings to his people. He gives it to them among other ways in which he blesses them. He gives it to them by giving them land. Because he cares about place. And he promised, as he promised his grace to Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, in Genesis 15, he promised to give them this land. And so now here in this passage, in the book of Joshua, God is fulfilling his age-old promises. And you see here in this passage, this outline of the southern boundary in verse 2 and following, and the eastern boundary in verse 5 and following, and the northern boundary in verse 5 and following, the western boundary in verse 12. And notice how it doesn't do so generically, like, you know, over there, you know, over that one town, what's it called? Never been there. But with real attentiveness and a sense of value. And we see this all over the Bible, all over the New Testament as well. A similar commitment to the importance of place. In fact, many of the, book of the books of the Bible, you may know, are actually letters in the New Testament written to churches in a particular region or city. To Corinth and Philippi and Ephesus, Galatia and Rome. And in fact, throughout the narratives of the life of Jesus in the book of Acts, we have incredible attentiveness to geography. The Mount of Olives, the Sea of Galilee, Samaria, Golgotha, Tyre and Sidon, Solomon's portico, Peter's house, the Pool of Siloam. It's almost like every time God shows up or changes someone's life, the authors are just handing out GPS coordinates. Do you realize that that is how God works his purposes in all of our lives? Eugene Peterson, an author just a thoughtful thinker and teacher, wrote this. In the Christian imagination, where you live gets equal billing with what you believe. Geography and theology are biblical bedfellows. Everything that the Creator does and therefore everything that we do is in place. All living is local. This land, this neighborhood, these trees and streets and houses, this work, these shops and markets, 
People who want God or religion as an escape from their place because it's difficult or maybe just mundane, he says, don't find this much to their liking, but to the man or woman wanting more reality, not less. This insistence that all genuine life, life that is embraced in God's work of salvation is grounded, literally, is good news indeed. Place is important. God really cares about this. Do you? Do we collectively? And the truth is, in many ways, we don't. The truth is, in many ways, we don't, especially in this modern era. It's a real challenge to become anchored to place. You know, we live in a time when community and this idea of relationships has been completely untied from geography. We try to live virtually in the way we interact with one another through social media or even the phone. These aren't bad things, but this is just what's happening Our souls starve for relationships. You can touch a face of a friend. You can see. And yet we're busy zipping around from place to place. We live in a digital world, sociologist David Lyon says, of cyber reality, which is our reality now. There is no place in this space. You're kind of everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Life is fast. One sociologist describes our society, an interesting word, as dromocratic, meaning that we're a speed-bound era, a culture of just acceleration. We want everything to be faster and faster and faster, whether if it's your internet connection or the way you get on the bus and get to work or to home. We try to live at the fastest speed because we're always on the move which means that place has become something you just pass by on the way to where you want to be or who you want to be with. Place is literally a blur in life as you rush on by. We only then care for a given place, a neighborhood, a city, an apartment building, a block, only then for its convenience. In other words, the way it meets my needs personally, its amenities. And therefore, it's not surprising how often we live simply as consumers of place. Rather than neighbors, servants. Too often it is because, and this is just the reality and the temptation, because we tell ourselves, well, hey, I'm probably leaving soon anyway. So why put down roots? Increasingly, we live in a world where the simple question, where are you, is actually difficult to answer. And Christians haven't really helped this either in the way that church communities can be shaped, almost inviting or even compelling people to zip across massive swaths and miles of place. Neighborhoods and cities in order to be a part of a worshiping community. Of communicating to folks that souls matter, but not streets. Forgetting that the story of the gospel is actually God coming to this world in a physical body as a real human being to represent and rescue human beings. And in fact, God resurrected that body of Jesus 
putting his stamp of approval and infinite blessing upon our physical bodies as we live in a physical, emplaced world. Scholar and author David Wells writes this, one of my professors, in fact, in his book, God in the Wasteland, that the modern individual is almost wholly rootless, bereft of any psychological connections to place. Those who belong everywhere can also be said to belong nowhere. They have been emancipated from the small town only to become anonymous, unconnected in a large world where the self wanders the earth as a vagrant, belonging nowhere, something that is profoundly intrinsic to being human has been lost. Have you been experiencing that, friends? And maybe you didn't even know that maybe it's related to this idea of the importance of place. But you've been feeling disconnected or alienated. You've been feeling friendless and communityless. You've been feeling on the go and mobile to an unhealthy degree, perhaps, and you haven't exactly known what it is because you're just kind of going along with the way life is. And maybe it resonates with you to hear that, yes, something profoundly intrinsic to being human has indeed been lost. So what can we do to recover it? And just quickly go through a couple things here that we see in this passage. What can we do to learn to embrace place by grace? A couple, th a couple quick points, three points. Uh, number one, being committed to place, being anchored to place. It's so wonderful. It's a blessing to us because it teaches us to actually look around. Place teaches us to look around, teaches us to notice what's actually going around us. It's an invitation to pull yourself out, no, no, by the grace of God, for him to pull us out of ourselves and in our own selfish vantage point in life where the only thing that matters is what's going on in here and in me. Turning our attention both to the natural environment of a place and the built environment of a place, things that were made with a human Hands. For example, in this passage, look at what we find here. Mountains and valleys. The top of the hill west of the Hinnon Valley in verse 8. Mount Seir in verse 10 and the northern slope of Ekron in verse 11. And the valley of Ben-Hinnom in verse 8. You got bodies of water, like the bay at the southern end of the Dead Sea. And the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. There's the dry desert in verse 1 and the lush spring of the waters of Neftoah in verse 9. We have here cities and towns and villages like Beth Hogla in verse 6 and Enrogel in verse 7 and Shikaron in verse 11 and the Jebusite city that was later renamed Jerusalem in verse 8. We hear about water wells like the one at En Shemesh verse 7 and about roads like the steep and twisted scorpion path pass in verse 3, in the pass of Adenim, south of the gorge, in verse 7. Being anchored in a place and saying, this is where I'm going to be as long as I am here, present and engaged, teaches us to slow down long enough to appreciate what is immediately around you. And so it might begin to sound, maybe in modern, very local terms, something like this. That here we are paying attention to the southern slope, the hill country, as it were, along 16th Street. 
200 feet rising up from the bottom of downtown, this hill that once was called Meridian Hill. Leading up eventually to Lanier Heights and the western edge of Adams Morgan to the west that slides down into Rock Creek Valley by the National Zoo. Where you notice the maple trees of Mount Pleasant, the drum circle at Malcolm X Park. The murals that were constructed by kids years ago along Kenyon Street and Irving Street. The hair and nail salons along the 14th Street corridor. Yes, yes, even the rats that run through the playground at Calorama Park. The mosquitoes that feast on you at Walter Pierce Park. The pigeons that flock near the shrine of the Sacred Heart. Where you start to notice the way that you just can't hide from the sun, especially in the summer on Sherman Ave. And the way that you can't even find any sun under the canopy of trees on Ogden Street and Ingleside Terrace where you notice the clouded plexiglass on CC Liquors and at the Georgia Avenue post office, where you stop, pause and stop and notice and appreciate the mangoes being sold by the Abuela on 15th and Irving, the hot dogs, the cart run by the dear Ethiopian woman in front of Staples, where you notice the old trolley turnarounds both at Lamont Park near Mount Pleasant Street as well as the one directly behind me here on Monroe Street. The tacos al carbon at Mixtec, the pupusas at San Miguel's, the gyros at Astor's, the injera at Mescarim, and don't forget the General Sal's chicken at O'Tasty's on Columbia Road. The smell of the chlorine and the squeals of glee at the Civic Plaza fountains, the art shows at Bloom Bars, the jazz at Petworth, the salsa at the Habana Village, and we could go on and on and on. But do you notice? Are you looking? Are you taking it into your heart? Because God is. Did you know that? Secondly, place tells us stories. Place actually tells us stories. You notice this passage isn't actually just geography. It's also biography. We see the ways in which stories and memories and certain relations get, get, get tied to physical places. You know how it is if you've been around for long enough that you start to just associate different corners and places with memories. You've got stories of joy. You know, the Valley of Rephaim in verse 8 and Jabniel in verse 11. Uh, you may not know this, but those were actually sites of great military victories in the history of Israel. Uh, you don't pass by one of those cities if you're an Israelite and not have a smile on your face. Or the Jordan River in verse 5, of course, evokes one of the greatest moments in Israel's history where God dried up the river so that the Israelites could cross over and take possession of their grand inheritance, the promised land. Stories of joy, stories of sadness. The deserts of Zin and Kadesh Barnea in verses 1 and 3, you know, those were actually places in a terrible wilderness where Israel famously doubted God, even rebelled against him, not only them, but also Moses. It was also the location where Miriam, the great prophetess of Israel, was buried. We had a funeral there, you know. You don't forget these things, do you? It's part of your story. It's part of your collective story. 
Timnah, mentioned in verse 10, was the town where Samson, the great leader of Israel, began his personal downward spiral. The towns of Mount Ephron, mentioned in verse 9, would be later on the location of a civil war that would break out years later, leading to the tragic split of Israel into two kingdoms. You see, you walk around and you get to know a place and you learn to love a place, and you pay attention to a place, and you embody that place, you start to know that the place is telling you stories about people's lives. In fact, about God's work in this world, in this neighborhood. What God has been up to in your life, maybe. You pay attention to place, eventually you start finding yourself saying, hey, hey, right over there, that, that's the Dance Institute. You know, that's where our church got started. Uh, you know, that, that's Calorama Park where I got married, perhaps. Uh, that's the IHOP where God helped me to share my struggle with someone for the first time. It changed my life. Well, that's the corner where I got mugged. I still, my heart races when I walked by, when I still walk by that corner. Uh, that's where I used to live. You know, that was one of the darkest, most loneliest periods of my life. Or, hey, that place over there, that's where we celebrated my birthday. I'll never forget that day. Where places, and what is it for you? Is that starting to get formed in your mind, your heart, where places become memorials to God's faithfulness? Where places become markers of our growth and struggles? And when we're learning that that's not just the case for me, if it is the case for me, it's also the case for other people where we're learning how other places that might even be foreign or strange to me are actually deeply meaningful to others. In other words, we're learning to pay attention to someone else's story that's anchored to this place. You know, Hezron, Adar, Karka, Asmon in verses 3 and 4, we have no idea where those places are. We have no idea. Historians have been looking for years and years. Maybe not very hard. But we have no idea. It's sort of forgotten in history. But I tell you, the person that lives there he lived there when this was written, knew exactly where that was. It was meaningful to them. Maybe it was small. Maybe it didn't have a significant place in the story of Israel. It might not be important to me personally, but it sure as heck is important to someone else. And as you get to know a place, you learn to say that and see that around, especially as a relative newcomer to a place where you say there's a history here. And there's a people here, and there's a community here that I need to honor, that I need to submit myself to, that I need to get behind, that I need to walk with, stories that I need to hear before I rewrite my own story on top of theirs. Because there's a Hezron and an Adar and a Karka and an Asmon here in Columbia Heights and in the greater area here that we need to know and discover. Because God is writing a story on these sidewalks, in these homes, in people's lives, even here. Places tell stories, and when you become acquainted with that story, when you get to know that story, sometimes those stories become so compelling to us that you just want to be a part of it. I mean, a question that's worth pondering, would you ever move to a place 
or decide even sacrificially to stay in a place because you believe that God is doing something unique in that place. Because you love the story of God's faithfulness, of God's kingdom that's being written there. That's getting embedded into the stones and the sidewalks and the walls and the murals and the stores and the people and the trees and the hills and the rivers and the creeks. And you start to say, I want to be a part of that. Would you ever move or stay for that reason? Rather than what has become that is the most common reason which we make geographical moves, which is typically for jobs. And as I talked about a couple months ago, challenging us to consider would we ever move or stay for people, for community's sake, there's a new radical idea. Would you ever do the same to be a part of God's redemption, God's work, God's glory? In a place. Maybe even here. Maybe. Thirdly, place gives us an anchor for community and mission. And I'm going to close up with this. Place gives us an anchor for community and mission. If you could keep telling the story of what God does in this land of Judah, of course, right now we're just looking at a passage that tells its literal boundaries. But there's wave upon wave of ways in which the tribe of Judah anchored in that place then was engaged in so much life, in so much engagement in the mission of God. You know, being rooted in a place, being rooted in a neighborhood like this. And again, the point is not simply that you have to give your life and soul and everything to this particular place Move in here, live here, never leave here. Not necessarily. God can do a lot of different things, though you might consider it. God might call you to a different place. God might call you to an unexpected place. But being rooted in some place gives you an anchoring point for all kinds of opportunities of community and mission. I mean, even if you just look at the different components of our vision and mission statement, we can tease it out like this. We talk about the importance of the gospel and the way that we long to see lives changed by the good news of Jesus. You know how valuable it is to come and be a part of a neighborhood? To be a part of a church and for people to walk with you in your spiritual growth for a long, long time? where you're not always in get-to-know-you mode, and where you're not always in let-me-tell-you-my-story-for-the-first-time mode, because you're slowly becoming a part of a place where everybody knows your name and your story and your struggles and your sins and the unique ways in which God is changing you and the way that you're anchored is that you're actually being called to slow down a little bit and maybe you can actually start to grow. Or as we talk about community, And I just alluded to it earlier, too. To be anchored in a place in the neighborhood to say, as long as I'm here, I'm going to be here. To be present in relationships. Not just looking beyond to the next thing, the next move, the next place. How much that starts to change your friendships. Where you can actually say, well, this is worth investing in. This person's life. Because I ain't going nowhere. Whether if that's for six months, two years, six years, or 60 years. Or being a spiritually diverse community 
walking with people of all different kinds of backgrounds as we get to know who Jesus is together, how being anchored to a neighborhood so facilitates building relationships where you have the authenticity of being a neighbor before you're being an evangelist or before you're being someone that's trying to drag someone to church, for goodness sake, but you've spent more time on the sidewalk or on your front porch just loving each other and knowing each other as neighbors and walking with them to church perhaps or for you to actually come up with the courage to say, yeah, I want to check out who Jesus is. But there's greater trust because you know each other, because you've been around. Or cross-cultural community where being rooted in a neighborhood just helps along these lines. I mean, you just see these statistics that tell us again and again that how much just having one friendship, just one friendship or deep neighborly relationship with a person of another racial group, how much that significantly increases each person's ability to empathize with the perspective of a person of another race or cultural background. Just how, how much it changes things to be, to be, to be present. Or loving your neighbor, where it's just so hard to effectively love neighbor and walk with neighbor, if you're always moving and always darting around. It's not to say that God doesn't give us grace to do what we can do as we can do it, but how much more fruitful it can be. in not just, as we've said before again and again, dispensing resources, but rather sharing real relationships when you're here and present and ready to love because you're committed to a place. As we said in the beginning, all of this is embracing place, but by grace. Because by our natures, we just don't care. I'm just doing my thing. And sometimes it's not very convenient to anchor myself down. As Craig Bartholomew, who wrote this really helpful book on the importance of place, put it, we will not attain the practice of place without a deep spirituality. It is only as we are deeply centered on Christ that we become alive and attentive to a world charged with the grandeur of God. It's only when you know a God who came down and gave up everything for himself, gave up everything of himself to love you and have you, that you too will be willing to give up of yourself to love a people and to love a place. It's only when you've experienced the love of God that you become wondered and enamored and curious about the love of God. Where the world suddenly becomes alive to you and you're attentive to things where you're looking for the fingerprints of God everywhere and all the time. Where you start to notice that even in this place that we're reading of, it is the story of Jesus, isn't it? The tribe of Judah who generations before in the book of Genesis had been promised that a royal scepter, one of royal descent, would arise out of this humble place. That the Messiah would come about and he would come. God become man. God embodied in a physical body, walking in real places that he might rescue not only people, but redeem this place and give us a new heavens, a new earth 
as an inheritance. Who would have thought that that would have come out of this place, these places, mundane details, GPS coordinates, hills and valleys and stones and doors, a place you just never know what God might do. Do you believe that? Is it worth embracing God's place? Let's pray. We thank you, God, for turning our attention to this world that you have made, this neighborhood that you've planted us in as a church, and we pray that you would give us grace to love, to look, to wonder, and most of all, to see you. We give ourselves to you. Instruct us and teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's